This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Gerard, Evolution of a Revolution, the show that charts the progress of Stephen Gerard from his first day as a football manager when he took over at Ibrox to being the undefeated title winning manager who led Rangers to 55. My name's David Edgar and joining me to discuss as always is my fellow traveller through the Gerard era, Stevie Clifford of Four Lads Had a Dream. Hello Stephen. Hi David. Um... Very excited to do this episode. It's the one we've kind of all been waiting for, the (laughs) championship season. Well, the good thing about what we do uh, in terms of being fan media is that, of course, we have the freedom to do whatever we like. And we can go off in different directions. We can go off in tangents. We tend not to plan too much of our output in general. And with that, right at the start, I'll just say to the listeners, this might be one episode that covers it, it might be two, it might be three, we'll see how it goes. We're just going to talk for an hour and whatever we got up to is where we got up to. I'm sure that you'll uh, grant us that indulgence as we get kicked off because we're going to take you back, not to pre-season, normally of course that's where we would go, that's where we've gone the last couple of weeks where we would look at players who came in, players who came out and then go through the season. But of course, COVID hit the world uh, for a button in March 2020 and we're still living with the consequences now. But the immediate consequence was that after the Bayer-Leverkusen match, the home match at Ibrox, which Rangers lost 3-1, no disgrace in that, Stephen. I thought they were just a very good side, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, they were. Um, a real step up in quality of where we would love to be and where we are just slightly off. And if you look at it in terms of, um, I think that they are the levels of the Porto side that we beat at home, 
slightly above it, perhaps, when you look at like, so Kai Havertz moving on and things like that. So that's really the, the level we want to aspire to. And I think in our form at that time as well, we just weren't quite able to, to match no. them. I'd love to see us, though, David. I would love to see us play them, or I would have loved to have seen us play them both going, yeah, at form, strength to strength, because I think it would have been a cracker. But it was a kind of night that was surreal because everybody knew, I think, during that night that this would be the last time we would be at a game for a while, but nobody would expect what was about to happen, that's for sure. No, uh, it was a surreal experience because already the warnings were being given. There was talk of a lockdown and, of course, the the old firm match that weekend, which was due to take place on the Sunday, was postponed and, of course, would never take place because what happened then was slightly different from what happened in a lot of leagues around Europe where... Countries tried to find a way, it seemed, to get their season finished at some point. And of course, we we only need look at England to see how they managed, in fact, to do that and to complete their season uh, in the summer. The SPFL and the SFA didn't seem in any way inclined to do that. And in fact, as we would find out over the next few weeks, railroaded several clubs into voting for this withheld money made it made it clear really that the money would not be paid out to the clubs couldn't we were told be paid out to the clubs didn't give them the full information um to get the vote put through with the outcome of course in my opinion and i'm biased but the outcome was designed to make sure that celtic won the title and were just given that uh, that particular title and that, of course, ended up with several other clubs right down the pyramid being very badly affected. Hearts, of course, were relegated. Partick Thistle, of course, were relegated. Teams were denied promotion opportunities. And what then happened was a couple of months scramble where, where it seemed at time that Rangers were the only club who were actually standing up to the SFA and the SPFL Rangers called for an investigation were told well you can't have one because it would cost money Douglas Park said I'll pay for it still couldn't get one the Rangers called for the suspension of Neil Doncaster and removal from his position but did not receive the backing we were told famously Peter Lawwell gave a rousing speech in defence of the SPFL and the SFA and the status quo uh, that will come as no surprise to to anybody who's been paying attention over the years. And I think it was a situation that that got very heated, that got very nasty, that got very personal. I think that Rangers FC and Rangers supporters have been completely exonerated over the course of the following year, Stephen, when it has become clear that everything that Rangers said was true. But we remember, of course, the document that Rangers gave, which listed things that weren't being told to the clubs, like things like we will owe TV companies this much money. We will, you know, if we don't complete these fixtures that hadn't been given to the clubs, but far too many of the clubs, for whatever reason, decided that they would back this this regime. And many have since had reason to complain about that. Yeah, I mean, how do you sum up that that period, that two-month period, without saying the word farcical, David? I think (laughs) from the get-go, we we knew as a fan base that 
it was being designed for one purpose and one purpose only. And even when you look at it now, the way it all transpired was, was quite frankly shocking. The original vote, you know, going in, in favour of um, of Rangers in terms of what they wanted to happen. Not obviously Rangers vote, but in terms of what we wanted. Only to find out then that this mysterious email had been lost and then changed. And then there was the offers of financial help and friend, friendlies and player loans and all sorts of stuff that, that amounted in a way to backwards bribery and and it just never ever, nobody ever really investigated it. Nobody ever really cared. The focus shifted on Big Bad Rangers, Rangers trying to cause issue, and then the media got this bit between their teeth with regards to Rangers' document that they were going to produce. Um, there was a phrase, the smoking gun, and things like that. When it was never ever going to be that, what Rangers had was a series of significant malpractice is that the right word or questions questions, questions. certainly governance questions yeah that's much better that you know we're all merited and of course the the financial liability that you discussed earlier i think was 10 million pounds and it was almost like unless you end this season right now we can't get the money and we can't do this and we can't do that and we've spent years david we've spent years listening to these moon howlers go on about how you know, Celtic were denied runs at Champions League and Celtic were this and Celtic were that, all because of Rangers and this resolution that they go on about and still can't go over. I wonder if anybody actually sat and questioned last year the fact that Celtic were given a free run at Champions League qualification. Mm. Rangers weren't Rangers weren't given the opportunity. We were 13 points behind, granted. We had a game in hand and we were still to play Celtic twice. I think that's how it ended. And Celtic were given the title. Now, we know what happened to Celtic, you know, this season or the, or the season that would follow. Who's to say, hand on heart, that they would have came back after a two, three-month break if they tried to finish it like in England and sealed that title? Nobody can say that they would have, you know, that, that they would have definitely done that because we've mm. seen what happened to them. So the whole thing was a farce. Unfortunately for us, though, as, as you know, David, it, it got worse because... It became very personal against Rangers, against Douglas Park, when all Rangers were wanting was proper governance of a situation. They they didn't want titles handed out. They asked for the season to be finished. And that was all. I don't mm. think anything that we did... Was outrageous. Was outrageous, yeah. But the way that we were treated and almost harangued and harassed by the media and at times ridiculed by them... Mm. And if you remember when we did produce that document, within what a couple of minutes they were, you know, <laughs> they were rebuting it and and saying how it was nonsense and almost like it was all pre-planned. So, as you pro as you pointed out, as as the year went on, you know, teams started to clock onto it. But by that point, it's too late. You know, there was a lot of karma justice done throughout the season, which we were glad of. But going back and and revisiting and thinking about that season, it was terrible because it was like a daily war in terms of trying to defend the club on social media and things like that and and trying to, you know, just trying to stick with it and and put a wee bit of belief in the club as well that, you know, back what they were saying and and the documents and stuff like that. And I just think, looking back on it as well, David, it was all designed for one thing. 
And and yeah, you know, we might be paranoid or biased or whatever, but I think it's very reasonable to come to that conclusion when you look at everything that went on. I mean, that whole email vote, the the offers of financial help and friendlies and everything, it's farcical. Where where else would that happen? That's exactly it. It was Banana Republic stuff. And a couple of things uh, I want to talk about. Firstly, people have said to me, well, do you really think Rangers were going to claw it back? No. Had the games just gone on ahead as normally? No, I don't believe Rangers were going to claw it back. Two, three months later, after a break, recharge, as Stephen said, who knows? Um, There's a quarter of the season left. And as we're going to talk about in the following season, things can fall apart pretty quickly for a side in the following quarter of a season. But I think a couple of things about the about the decision um, and about the, the whole process. Firstly, I think Rangers made a couple of tactical errors. The, the first one was that I think they believed that because that they were right and they had evidence that they would get a fair hearing for it and that wasn't going to happen. And I think that by mentioning this dossier and then allowing time to build up the expectation level for what was in it, not only from support uh, from people who don't like us, but from supporters as well, I think that the the build up meant that it was never short of, you know, containing you know pictures of Neil Doncaster up to no good. It was never ever going to satisfy. And therefore it allowed people on the other side to paint it as a flop when and Rangers would, would say, well, we never said that it was a smoking gun or anything like that, but it didn't matter. The narrative ran away and that made it impossible then to live up to it. It became overhyped. So I think that was a tactical error. And the other one was the you know, phrase used in one of Rangers press releases, we will not be found wanting. And that's great. And long term, that's what it is. But again, it gave the support the impression that this was right there and then a fight to the death and I was saying a lot on the shows or daily shows that we do at heart and hand this is going to happen okay Celtic are going to be handed the title because it's going to come down to votes and there are more votes the other side of this Rangers can't change that and I I think people get understandably when something's so blatantly unfair and unjust that they get angry and and that anger can get displaced and I think a lot of it went on to the club for well you didn't fight it and well they did fight it they lost and I think sometimes we have a a difficult I think sometimes as Rangers fans that if Rangers do something and don't win we just assume they didn't do enough that there had to be something they could do sometimes the deck is just stacked against you but I don't think Rangers helped themselves in how they presented that case uh, and I think that looking back, they would hopefully learn from that, that it's not always about being right. It's sometimes about how you play it. But no matter what had happened, I'm saying this, that's just an, obs- an observation from me. It wouldn't have mattered if what was going to happen was going to happen. You know, Peter Lawwell had spent years putting people in place at the SFA and the SPFL. And regime change was a long term aim for Rangers but I think that the situation was allowed to develop that if Rangers didn't get rid of everybody there and then they'd lost and the other side had won and I think that Rangers went into an impossible situation that they were never ever going to win 
And the fans came out of it disappointed. And that was, I think, an error, an unfortunate one. The positive long-term effects of it is that Rangers, I think, has become quite clear uh, through this season and even recently we're here in St. John's and St. Oba have a very good relationship with Rangers, Aberdeen, Hibs. A lot of clubs had their eyes open that summer to what was going on, who the chosen clubs were, who were in, and I'm not just talking about Celtic here, but people who have uh, representatives on the SPFL board, for example, were very self-serving and shameless, even throughout the, the lower divisions. And I think that long-term, that has become a very potent and powerful thing. But in the short term, <laughs> the way I always describe it is it's a war. Sometimes you lose battles in a war. It doesn't mean you've lost the war, and it's who comes out of the eventually. But I think that expectation levels were raised to such a fever pitch that there was simply no way they could be they could be matched. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Um, the, the one thing that I kept thinking when you were talking there is short-term pain, long-term gain in terms of making friends or even highlighting some of the things that were, some of the governance issues that were, were in place at the SFA, the SPFL, etc. So, it's just, I find it difficult to express in words how, how disappointing the whole situation was last summer or last, well, yeah, I suppose... Spring! Yeah, last spring in terms of it was almost like it wasn't inevitability what was going to happen but the coverage of it and the way that we were portrayed as a member club simply by asking for clarification and questions on simple governance you know and I think we had a case in terms it maybe wasn't the case that it was made out to be by the media. I don't think by the club, I think by the media. But in terms of that, I just think that we were never, ever going to win, David. We were never, ever going to... Even if we had those photos you, you talked about, it, it wouldn't have been, well, look at these photos. It would have been, well, well what were Rangers doing there taking them? Yes, and so, that, that's the thing. You could have presented it, no? any evidence because there were clubs who were going to vote the way they voted regardless. And... Yeah, uh, the whole thing left a very bitter taste in the mouth. But what then happened was obviously a period where we were locked out and that affected rich man, poor man, didn't matter. So Rangers couldn't couldn't train together. Um, but this period, Stephen, I think already has taken on a significance in the mind of us as Rangers fans because something happened in that period. And Rangers kept in touch with the players they, all the way down to the youth players. They didn't want anyone to feel isolated. Players were given training, exercises, regimes, diet regimes, etc. to do at home. Uh, there were you know, Zoom calls aplenty. As I say, it didn't matter. It doesn't matter what your line of work was that uh, we all got introduced to this, this thing, the Zoom call. And I think that what we saw then was the Rangers players... In a situation where you can, sometimes when you've got too much time to think, you can overthink it. But for some reason, the Rangers players went away collectively. And the manager has said himself, from the first day back at training in the summer, he knew something was different. I don't even know if the players themselves, Stephen, could tell you what happened in that period. But 
on their own, individually, with their families, connected, of course, you know, by technology, but still, they all went away and I think looked at what they'd done right, what they'd done wrong the previous season, and somehow came back with the... the, They'd somehow managed to surmise, right, we're not that far away. And we spoke last week about the night being darkest before the dawn. They went away and said, we're not a bad side, we're a good side. If anything, we lack belief. We don't lack ability, which is something I think the fans had argued for for a long, long time. But they came back and... I'm going to ask you a really difficult question because, as I say, I don't even think the players could tell you this, but what happened in in that couple of months? Yeah, as it's it's one of the the great unknowns. I suppose we could surmise, David, and we could say that we would hope that the players galvanised themselves and the sense of perhaps injustice um, mm, gave point, them a, actually. gave yeah. them a different mindset into. I think collectively they would have all been really positive in terms of their belief of how good they were. The likes of Conor Goldson, James Tavernier, the the real leaders, Alan McGregor, Stephen Davis, they would have been, I'm sure, rallying the troops and telling them how good we were. But there would have been also a bit of self-reflection and, and determination prompted by these guys saying, we just need to take it to that next level and that next level will be good enough. And sure is, hell, we aren't going to, you know, they've been handed nine titles, we aren't going to let them get the next one because 55 is much more important. So I don't think we can answer that, but we can certainly hope and, and surmise that that's what's happened behind the scenes. But as you said, that sometimes when there's a collective, you know, sense of injustice and, and the team and the squad and the club as a whole come together, like we did, in terms of, things like Zoom calls and the togetherness and just the checking in and everything else, it can breed a togetherness that I think we then showed on the pitch. So although we didn't know and sometimes you can't see it happening behind the scenes or even in a group, it's manifested itself and that's what I would like to believe happened so that when they came back on day one there was a a collective sense of now we're ready, now we're focused and, and let's go. But that that was the case, I think, David, throughout the club. Obviously, you know, for both of us, I think it's, it's pertinent to, to say that we were at that point heavily involved in fan media and it started our journey on that with the club as well. So Rangers as a whole, you know, were very much in touch with the support, very much in touch with the players. And if we were going to fail in the coming season, we were going to do it together. And I think that that's actually an important point. I think that people think that... Uh, the fan media relationship as a club come to us and give us our instructions and off we go. And it doesn't work like that at all. And anyone who's involved in fan media will be able to tell you that. And in terms of us being non-critical, it's not like that at all. The club don't want that. They want us to say, I think that's wrong. I think you made a mistake there. Um, A, to stop them doing it, or B, the next time round, they go, you were right the last time I'm going to listen to you on this. So I think that it was an important period um, for everyone. But we... When we came back, we were all just delighted that football was going to go on. Some some doubt and early on in the season with things like the Aberdeen 8, etc. Ball and goalie heading off to Spain uh, to, to see his, his bird. Um, various things began. But let's talk about the transfer dealings. Now, Stevie, I don't want to 
I don't want anybody to think that I know this because I don't, or that anyone at Rangers has ever spoken to me about it because they haven't. I don't know. This is just an opinion. But when Kemar Roof and Cedric Hitton both arrived, I did think that Alfie was leaving. And I'm not entirely sure that both of them would have arrived had uh, had the club fully believed Alfie was going to stay. Uh, that's just a personal opinion. As I say, I've got no inside knowledge. There's no inside scoop there. It's just something I believe. What are your thoughts on that one? No, I completely agree with you. And I'll back you up 100% on the, on the whole kind of club side of it because as much as the club are, are excellent, we do not get told anything with regards to transfers. So that's a that's a kind of area that that we that we wouldn't know anything about, and and even yourself, David, who has has been at the forefront of fan media, would would be able to say that. Oh yeah. So it's it's definitely opinion based, and I was the exact same as you. You know, there was heavy interest from Lille, you know, and they basically, I think they were at the point where it was kind of, you know, second bid stage in terms of right, your next one we're going to meet in the middle, and and that'll be him off. So yeah, I mean. I thoroughly expected Alfredo to be gone. I thought that there was enough cover in terms of Roof and Itten and Defoe, you know, Hadji and, and, and lots of options there. So I had kind of made my peace with Alfredo going. We had left it at the end of the, the kind of, you know, the cut season that he had missed the games at Hearts and things. And a bit like the season before and he's sending off at, at, at um, Parkhead. I think that if he had went then it might have been the right time for him. So I don't think there was much, how do I word this? I don't think there was much resistance to him going. There was more of an acceptance that it was definitely Alfredo's time. And and like you, at that point in time, I fully expected Alfredo to be going. I think Ruth was a long-term target. And I think he was somebody that that the club wanted to bring in. Does Cedric Itton arrive if Alfie uh, isn't, as I say, maybe perhaps going? Maybe not. But that was what happened. We also saw John McLaughlin arrive. Calvin Bassey arrived. Uh, Yanis Hadji, as you mentioned there, completed his his permanent move to Rangers. And we also got Leon Balligan in as well. And when you looked at the squad, then you thought maybe the thing that's different this time around is that we've got a depth now that we didn't have. The only area I thought we were light in was midfield and of course we were linked with Bongani Zungu didn't happen and then on the last day of the window Bongani Zungu came in on a loan deal as we now know with the benefit of hindsight it didn't really work out and and he's going again and and I wonder if perhaps we were linked to 1001 players I wonder if he was always the sort of the you know the 10 to 2 in the nightclub option if we don't find anyone better we'll go for you but I just never got the impression throughout that whole you know elongated chase that that he was somebody that was really high up the list that they were desperate for I might be wrong it was that's just a personal opinion I think if they were desperate for him it would have happened earlier Mm. so there was obviously the the stories that he was over here or in Britain and there was kind of they didn't reach an agreement on costs and things like that. So that tells me that we weren't quite sure. Now, 
in terms of how the deals worked out, we were entirely correct, and that's that's proved to be good business sense, because it, it's it's undoubted that I would think that he's maybe pushed for the move, went back to Rangers and kind of said, well, take him on a loan to buy kind of move, and if you like him, you can get him for that amount. Mm. So, which I, I love those deals, but I, I'd be all over. See if any time there's the option to get a guy for a year, and then look, I say if he not. You know his value can shoot up, and I try before you buy. I suppose I, I love those. Yeah, I mean it's worked out perfectly in this case because if we had paid the four million for Bungani Zungu, we would all oh. be sitting right now saying <laughs> that it's a deal that's not worked. And if and if we get half that back, then you know we'll be doing well or whatever. So Ross Wilson again has proved shrewd in that marketplace, and we know as well that he's he's paid less than what we expected for Yanis Hadji, which is going to be a magnificent signing for us on the pitch and off it financially. So it, it was good work last summer. I would agree with you. I don't think I don't think Bongani Zungu was target one. He might not have even been target three. So he did come in and to be fair to him, he, he played his part like all of them That's, did. Yeah. But um the, the also the big the big news in, in terms of the summer was the the Balogun deal because Nico Katic had been injured. Mm. So that kind of rocked us in pre-season and, and gave us a bit of a a bit of a headache in terms defensively, but Leon Balogun would turn out to be a masterstroke. Yeah, especially on a free. Uh and not not only I think the guys like him and McLaughlin coming in, it's not just about their ability, which is great, and their ability to, you know, step in when you've got injuries, but it was more about Experience. I think they're yeah, and total pros, and yes. I think that they just came in and they were calm, and Ruth, you know, that bit of arrogance that he has, I think, is a good thing, you know, and I always go back to something Sir Alex Ferguson said about buying a new player every summer, even if you've got a great squad, he said, when a classy player comes in, it's a boost to everyday training, because the other players all go, oh, he's good, I want him to think I'm good, so training kicks up 10%, you know, um, he says it's not only about what they do on the park, it's it's about what they bring to the whole squad. And I'll be honest, the most difficult thing about any look back when you know the outcome is not to talk about it with the, the 2020 hindsight. We know that Stephen Davis and Glenn Kamara had outstanding seasons, eight out of tens every week. But if I'm being totally honest with you, last summer I looked at the defence and I thought I'm happy with that. Yeah, I like the, you know, Parsons going to be covered for Tav. We've got the, the two centre-halves at the time. We still have George Edmondson. We brought in Balligan. Happy with that. Happy with the goalkeepers. Born as a left-back, this young guy is in a bit of potential there. All good. Up front, delighted. Loads and loads of options. Uh, you know, we've, we've got Kent, Morelos, Roof, Vita and Hadji, right, great. I did look at the midfield and I thought, hmm, because I had concerns about Stephen Davis from the previous season, Glenn Kamara, and I'll, I'll admit this now, and I was totally and utterly wrong, and I'm delighted to be, but last summer when there was talk of a big move for him, I thought I would I would take that, because, you know, again, people might forget the way he'd ended the season, his confidence had totally gone, and he was all over the place, in all honesty. But that was the one area I thought that might bite us in the bum a wee bit. Um, and it didn't, and I'm delighted about that. But 
looking back, I need to be honest and say I did look at the midfield and go, I'm I'm a bit worried about in there because, and it would turn out to be true, that Ryan Jack and Scott Arfield are super players, but they they pick up injuries. That's just, it's just a fact they do, and they would do this season. But twin rocks in Davis and Kamara. Yeah, I was the exact same as you, and I remember having this discussion with Adam Thornton, um, who you know obviously is, is big on the on the tactics and has a show on hand and hand and things, and I, I feel always carries a kind of insightful opinion. And mine was the exact same. I felt that the midfield was like David. I thought that beyond um, Davis and and Kamara and Jack, I didn't know if there was going to be a lot there. So I I, I definitely had concerns there. And it's not an it's not a, a a position in the squad that he's heavily invested in. I think that's still to come. I think that this summer might be where we 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 invest and, and where we probably should invest. To be honest. Because I think we've got a, a plethora of good players in, in goalkeeping, defence and attack. But midfield, I think we've got three or four that are very strong. But like you, you know, we're, we're almost in the exact same position, actually, a year on in midfield that we were last summer. But the way that they would go on and perform, David, as as you as we've said, and, and with hindsight, was incredible. But exact same as you, Kamara, I mean, you make a fabulous point on, he had... Had a horrendous time at Tynecastle and basically oh, just yeah. and just stopped after that. He had a rough time in Europe as well. Um, I remember Hamilton at home. He struggled quite a bit too. So we hadn't ended. He hadn't ended it well. But we know the qualities of of Glenn Kamara. So at that point, a move for him. I, I would have been the same as you if we if we were getting you know fees that were mentioned. Eight, I think it was eight to ten million for Kamara. I think we were looking at if we were looking at reinvesting that there wouldn't be too many of us that would have said no. Similar to what Alfredo position at the time as well, but you know, thank goodness we didn't, David, because as you see him now playing at the top of his game in the Euros and things, we're going to make a lot of money on that boy, obviously. Oh, yeah. And he's a, he's a fabulous, fabulous talent. It's actually quite funny that this is the first summer since he's arrived. I'll be honest that, uh, or this is the most confident this summer I've been that Alfredo's staying. That you know, every other summer, for whatever reason, um, I've always felt that there's a decent chance he's going to go this summer. And I'm not saying he won't. You know, somebody could come in with a huge bid tomorrow. We know that, but he just looks much more settled now. Well, he does. He's obviously he's, he's well documented. He's bought his new house. His his wee one's obviously been brought up here. He, he's settled. He he would change. His whole dynamic would change after. I, th- I would say probably December time, when he when he got his goals and things, and they started to come. He had a huge influence, and it's probably an influence in the season that's un- understated, which we'll discuss as we go through it. In my opinion, I think he doesn't get the, the credit he deserves because he was he was magnificent and really prominent and vital for a, for a good while. But I would agree with you. I don't expect him to leave. As weird as that is, but that might that might change depending on how he does in the Copas. You know, if if he has. That that performance for Colombia, where it sparks the the media interest and and gets the scouts, you know, watching them and things like that, it can happen so quickly. At the moment, I think that because other people have flourished and he's not so much, we're not so much Rangers one man team anymore. He's not grabbing the headlines, which which makes him attractive for you know the back pages and and these targets that perhaps don't exist, but agents you know use them to try and drum up 
kind of um, interest in him and things. So I think at the moment he's quite settled. Like like you, this is the one where I don't expect to lose him because we have expected it every summer since. So hopefully that you know because we we all know how vital he is. Hopefully, unless we get that that you know huge offer that could be you know club changing and, and beneficial for us, I don't see him going anywhere. Well, I hope we're right, but it's a nice place to be in because you know that he's not agitating for a move. If he goes, he goes um, because we've got a huge bid. Um, so, no, totally, absolutely. But back then to last summer, it's something that we we might forget. And that is, of course, Rangers went to France for the... Is it the Valia Valuria tournament, whatever it was called, where uh, Rangers and Celtic would go to a tournament with uh, Lyon and Nice in France, in Lyon, uh, wouldn't play each other, which make, makes sense. I never understand the, the point of uh, that, that kind of thing uh, that you see the English clubs doing. I, I don't see the point of it, and especially with Rangers and Celtic, because there's no such thing as a friendly. But... Uh, we beat Leon. I think we were all very pleasantly surprised at the level of performance. And then we beat Nice 2 0, and uh, we won the trophy. And a lot of Celtic fans were laughing when Tav lifted it and they said, uh, Lol, look at you celebrating that. Well, uh, it gave him a taste, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it did. And we were actually excellent over the, the course of pre season last year. Joe Rebo really started to excite people in terms of what he was doing. Yanis Hadji seemed to come back and, and look settled. And that, bringing him in early and then signing him, you know, everybody was saying that that's, that's going to be a masterstroke because he was settled and, you know, he went on to have another good season as well, as did Joe Aribo. But we looked in the mood. But more importantly, David, defensively, Connor Goldson looked like he had, he had got his act together. And I don't say that as, as, as that sounds harsh, but it's not meaning to be. But we know that he had had a, a bad ending to the to the curtailed season in, in terms of form and things. He had lost his way. Philip Hollander was of course back, which makes a huge difference. Leon Balogun instantly looked comfortable. So there was lots of little factors in there that made it a really positive trip for us. And and yeah, they did take the piss and and they did laugh and everything else. But at, at, instead of laughing at that point. They should have been probably sitting thinking they beat a couple of really decent sides. They they look, you know, at worst they look like a really difficult side to beat. They look really compact and organised, and that would have been a sign of things to come for us. But like everything else, David, their complacency and arrogance would be their downfall. Rangers looked like they were in the mood. They looked like they were, or they looked like they were ready. And you know, France looking back on it now. It might be funny or people might laugh, but maybe that wee taste of success was enough for them to say, right, we have got it in our in our sights. We are capable. Let's now kick on. I, well, I'm claiming that's what happened. Um, well, why not? Why we? Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it, it, all down to that. But uh, no European fixtures early, no July European fixtures this year because, uh, obviously, as the world was still getting to, to grips with COVID, uh, the we didn't know if you'd be able to travel, if it would go ahead. And it was decided then that it wouldn't start until the September. And when it did, it would start with only one one leg ties all the way through to the qualifier. It would be a one-off match, home or away, just like a, a domestic cup. Um, but that left us free in August then to just concentrate on, on the league. And we went up to Pataudry, opening day. It's never 
uh, an easy place to go, especially not for Rangers and especially not opening day. A surreal, surreal game, Stephen. I, I watched it on the TV, um, as we all did, and it was odd. And Rangers took the lead in the first half, a lovely goal through uh, some great play by Alfredo Morelos to send uh, to send Ryan Kent away. He tucked it away. Second half, not a lot in it. Aberdeen didn't offer anything really going forward. And I think, and we're going to talk about this in a game in a couple of couple of weeks uh, on this show not not in a show in a couple of weeks but a game that took place a few weeks later I think the second half we all spent going oh my god oh my god oh my god but we saw it out kept a clean sheet which was to become a theme and you're quite happy really aren't you any opening day victory away to Aberdeen you'll always take the three points I don't think at that point we were sitting saying this is a side that's going to go undefeated and romp the league but you know, we were content. It was a good start. Yeah, it was. It was a very much like job done. We'd done exactly what we needed to do. I think although, as you pointed out, we might have been sitting nervous within ourselves, I don't think the team were because defensively, you know, we were absolutely solid. Aberdeen obviously had their issues up front. I don't think they had a, a striker that day. So they weren't a threat at all. And although we, we won 1-0, it was a very comfortable 1-0. Instead of it being people who look back on it and saying, oh, that might have been close, well, it wasn't. So Rangers were very much on the ball, off and running. It was overshadowed by Celtic winning 5-1, I think 6-1 maybe against Hamilton that weekend. And, and people had already said that, that, that uh, the title was in the bag for them. So we were off and running. We didn't get the, the kind of headlines. We we didn't get the, you know, the fanfare behind it or anything like that. It was very much job done. I think we would have been very happy with that result, David, because the year before, obviously, um, starting at, at Kilmarnock and it being a, a tight game and, and winning as well, you know how important that is. So, off and running, always a difficult place to go. It's, it's immediately, it's one of those fixtures where you can tick it off and say, well, we've already got over a little yeah. hurdle and it's Don't the first game of the season. So, exactly. I would think Only that... One more trip there. Yeah, exactly. I would think that on the back of France and in the back of going to do that, knowing then that we had a couple of home games to come, I think that everybody would have been pleased. Two home games followed, 3-0 victories over St Mirren and St Johnson. It's a good performance. As I was fortunate enough to be there, as I was at every home game last season. And again, the bizarre nature of it. Uh, and this is something when people say... It suited X club or it didn't suit X club to play with fans, no fans. And one of the things I've been asked a lot is, do you think that it's benefited us? And and I always say that, firstly, it was strange for every player. And I don't care which club they played at, but any club who played in front of players, because it was weird. It really was. In terms of, did it, did it benefit any particular side or... There were times, and I remember thinking this against St Johnston in that 3-0 win, Rangers scored Borna Barisic, but then there was about a 20-minute spell in the second half at 1-0 when under normal circumstances, Ibrox would be getting fidgety, and that might benefit the the away side. But because there was none of that, it just comes down to, well, who's got the better players? Rangers do, and Rangers... You'll get the second and go on and get a third and pick up the win. I remember thinking that day, well, that's maybe something. 
But equally, I'll go to, there were certain matches where if the crowd were in here and right on it, you know, Galatasaray, Benfica, when they were starting their comeback against us at Ibrox, I thought if the crowd were here rolling the team on and giving them that extra 5%, maybe that would have made a difference. So I don't think there is one answer, Stephen. I don't think that there's, oh yeah, it was a, a plus or a minus. I think it was at some times it might have been a plus, at other times it was a massive minus. And I would certainly argue a game that probably be next week we talk about, when we beat Celtic 4-1 at Ibrox, had a crowd been in that day, it would have been six or seven. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. I don't think there is. I, I mean, David, to be honest, I think you've nailed it. I don't think there's much I can add. You know, it's, it's going to be beneficial at some points. It's not going to be beneficial at others. So, you know, I don't think you can deny that the Ibrox crowd on, on massive nights and European nights or must-win fixtures... The way that the the games actually went to Ibrox this year is as we'll kind of cover on the show as well. There were certain games, you know, where where Celtic had dropped points the day before or were dropping points that day that Ibrox would have been a joy, you know, it would have been electrified. So, oh yeah, I'm thinking immediately think that the Aberdeen game four 0 where where Celtic had dropped before and Rangers would be going eleven points clear and things that would have been an incredible atmosphere. That the four one Celtic game like you mentioned, we we I would have backed them like you to get more. So. There haven't, there hasn't been many times where you've sat and thought that the crowd maybe would have been fidgety, as you, as you put it. But you know, that's a weak, it's a weak argument. It, I always think that people who say that are just looking for an excuse. All it did was it levelled the playing fields, David. There was no support for anyone, which mm-hmm. meant that the best team on the park would win, and that's all it did. That's exactly it. It removed uh, an external factor that influenced the game. So when you hear Celtic bleating about it, to me, I was always, well, what you're saying is you need that. Um, This year, it was 11 v 11. Might have been in a nicer stadium sometimes, but there was no 50,000 people. There was none of that. There was nobody influencing a referee, if you want to call it. There was none of that. It came down on the day, who had the best team, and Rangers went undefeated. Read into that what you will. Stephen, we're coming to, there are pivotal moments for good and for bad, and we've got a lot of good ones coming this season. A lot of pivotal moments, I think, and we're going to have a lot of fun discussing them. But here was one that let off one of the biggest storms on social media, certainly, and phone-ins and all of that sort of thing, and on my site and on your site and on followfollow.com. And that was, of course, Rangers went to play Livingston. A tough place to go for either of the old firm, in all honesty. The pitch is a shambles, horrible thing. Livy are physical. They get right in your face. They love these games, unlike certain clubs that might, oh, it's a big team coming, we're going to get beat. They they weren't like that. They they, they love it while we're on the TV. and you know, Which, by the way, I think that's what a smaller club should treat these games like, you know, because it's a free hit, isn't it? If you get beat, nobody's going nobody's gonna to complain. And Rangers that day were poor uh, in an attacking sense. We certainly didn't give away any chances that day, but it wasn't about that. It was about what could we create against a well-disciplined side sitting in. And the answer was very little. And Rangers hit the bar from a Bonabaric free kick, and then Ryan Kent missed a, a very good opportunity in the last minute. But it was two points dropped. And afterwards, the reaction to it was, it's the worst reaction to a draw I can remember in terms of anger. Um, People were livid. People were raging at that point. 
And a lot of it, I think, was due to this is the same old shit we've seen. It, it wasn't a bit drawn with Livingston that day. It was a bit drawn with Kilmarnock two seasons ago, drawn with, you know, and, and not scoring against Aberdeen. It was all of that that came out and everybody went, it's the same old, same old. We're just going to, that's why we're going to struggle. Yeah, bang on. Um, I actually blogged the day after it and said the the headline of it, if I remember, was something along the lines of if we don't learn our lesson and learn it quickly, we're never going to win anything. And that was in terms of we've seen this before. It's the same old story. And there was there was I think there was something like a hundred comments on it, and people were just saying you could have just copied and pasted this from last time. Mm. I remember listening to your aftermatch, and I remember listening to Heart and Hand and, and the great deal of frustration. I think Hoggy was extremely frustrated as well around, surrounding that. So you know the funny thing is, David, I had a I had a bit of a, a kind of falling out with Alex Staff because you know that Alex is the eternal optimist and, and things like that, and he was trying and to... Sometimes me, you, and sometimes you want to choke him well, because <laughs> you're angry. I know we've all gone through it with Alex, that I love him, but sometimes, you know, there'll be a, a bad result or a disappointing result, and he'll go, ah, well, it's not that bad. And he's generally right, and he puts yeah. it in context, but at the time, you just, you want to kill him. Well, this, this was exactly it, and he was he was telling us, um, you know, and there was four or five of us kind of arguing with him, but he was telling us that that this was, this wasn't as bad, and, and this is why, and, and things like that. And of course, you don't want to hear it. It turns <laughs> out Alex was, was absolutely spot on, but nobody would hear it at the time. But you're right, I think there was just, there was a huge frustration because we now know as well that, that Celtic had, they had their whole COVID situation. They had dropped at Kilmarnock and then they had, the, they had so they, they had lost their players and we we were all so desperate, David, to have something to cling on to, to get ahead, to get a lead and to stick it. But as soon as we got that lead, we had given it straight back. And, and there was just, I think there was a resignation amongst the support at that point that oh here we go again. Um and and I don't know perversely, David, if that helped us because what would then happen, albeit we would very quickly drop again at Hibs, what would then happen is we, we lessened our our expectations and it happened almost by accident that before we knew it we were fifteen points clear. The manager spoke throughout the season about this and he said in the immediate aftermath of the game he said I think I need to let the hand break off he said this that he was maybe a wee bit too he, was, he came out fighting at a time when people asked him about it I asked him about it the following week at press conference said you know people have suggested you don't need two midfield you know two holders um against a side like Livingston who are going to give you the ball. And he said, well, yeah, but we've got fullbacks pushed up and if we lose a goal. But he has said since that he, he thought, right, maybe I do just need to say to them that they don't need to be quite so um, concerned with losing a goal because we now do have the firepower to go and score two or three, which we didn't have a couple of years ago. That's just a fact. So it's understandable that he was more concerned. But also the defence was a hell of a lot better this season, you know, in general. So all of that played its part. But that's why I think it's important that he decided that, OK, I can I can push. But another couple of uh, victories would fall, another few victories, actually, and some, some decent performances 
um, in these next matches. Beat Kilmarnock 2-0, pretty straightforward. Beat Hamilton away 2-0, should have been 5 or 6. Um, and then we spanked the United 4-0. Excellent performance. And in this performance, Scott Arfield sort of busts into the team um, and will become a very important player for the next few months. He scores a, a great goal and his contribution over the next few months is huge, particularly in Europe. Um, Scott Arfield, uh, sometimes easy to overlook, but he's, he's sensational. You mentioned it there, away to Hibs. Rangers haven't conceded a goal so far this season. That day will concede two. And again, I didn't think the reaction was quite as bad because you know, Easter Road can be a difficult place to go. Hibs are a decent side, as we know. Um, I thought this was a different type of draw in that there, you know, there was a defensive... A um, couple of defensive mistakes. Hib's second goal was offside. It shouldn't have stood. Uh, and Scott Arfield, although he scores a wonderful goal, he misses a setter uh, that would have got as the points. So for me, although the two, you know, because it was dropped points, the, the two of them sort of get lumped into the same category. I felt they were very different sorts of draws. And look, occasionally you're going to draw. Yeah, I think at the time it was a sore one. I was uh, particularly disappointed. I remember I, I got a bit of a panning online because I said that Tav had had a poor game and I think he was arguably, perhaps I was being harsh at the time, but arguably didn't close down um, Boyle for the second goal, which he got a free cross, which the boy headed in. Um, and, and everything that day just didn't come off for us, David, in terms of Ryan Kent went through, Scott Arfield went through, Scott Arfield had one saved, this is the one you're talking about, the one where he was one-on-one it saved, and then he hits the rebound and the goalie somehow saves it as well. That's, that's the so, one, the rebound's yeah, an open absolutely. goal. Absolutely. Really. So he, he said himself, you know, we're not being harsh, he said immediately afterwards, I have no idea how I didn't score that. Yeah. But looking back on it now, we can easily have said, well, it was one of those games because it was different in terms of Livingston. But at the time, you're so caught up on it that you don't look at the bigger picture because we're desperate. I bet you, David, if if we were a year on and, and this happens next season, seven or eight games in and we draw 2-2 two, two away to Tabs or whatever, people would be saying, well, it does happen because we're not battle-scarred anymore. That burden has been lifted now. But at that time, in the desperation, um, and I'll hold up my hands to it, you know, I didn't react the best because just so desperate, just so desperate to get ahead, stay ahead, get on a run, you know. And I think that game, if I remember rightly, that surrendered our lead at the top because although they did collapse, that 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 hadn't happened yet. We hadn't entered the the magical Shane Duffy period, but it was on its way. <laughs> It just hadn't arrived. But as you said, Scott Arfield had burst in. We, you know, we'd had some magnificent results in Europe, which, you know, I hope we're going to mention because they get overlooked, David. That win in Willem Tue was unreal. Well, we'll just, so, we'll just come into that. So Let's go what, I, what I would say is that from that Hibs defeat of the next 45 points, 15 matches, Rangers It wasn't, took... it wasn't a defeat, remember. It feels like a defeat. Sorry, yeah, you <laughs> see the Rangers fan. And it, yeah. that's, uh, you know, fundamental difference between Rangers and Scotland fans right there. Um, <laughs> we, we draw a tough away ground. We, we, we draw to each and we're all raging. Um, <laughs> but of the next 45 points available, we will take... 
45. And this is the period that really wins the league. And we'll talk about that next week. That's a good natural break, I think, um, in the league. But Stephen mentioned, and he's spot on to do so. First round, we draw Lincoln Red Imps. Well, we know that that can be a tough a tough match, Stevie. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have proof. But Rangers go there effortlessly, swish them aside, uh, five goals to nil. Fair enough, but you expect that. We then get a draw now. It's a one-off game. It's away, and we're away to Willem Tway of Holland. And look, I, I don't, I don't care. A, a, a Dutch side that are in European competition is a tough ask for a Scottish club. Um, I think there are a few underrated European results in Gerard's time. Uh, Porto, that uh, you mentioned, is, is hugely up there for me. But Rangers go to Holland, Holland, the Netherlands. You know, good football nation. And spank this mob 4-0. Absolutely destroy them. We were sensational that night. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's it's going to be, you know, out- outrageous to say this, but I think Gerard's finest result in Europe, I think it's massively underrated, you know, and I, I don't think we got the, the credit we deserved at the time because the team were magnificent, defensively solid, and attacking wise, I think that this is where we started to see the belief in, in guys like Ryan Kent. Because mm. Kent He had, was amazing. Yeah, he was absolutely sensational. But I think that that was to be the pivotal moment for Ryan Kent in his belief system for the season ahead. And that'll sound really weird and it's not it's not meaning to be, but what I'm trying to say is that gave him the belief and the encouragement to know that I am. I, I can be the major player in this team. Now, we'd seen little sparks of it, like the Livingston game, like Hibs. He tried to be the match winner in those games when we needed him to be. So we'd seen signs of him taking more responsibility. But that night in Holland, I think he grew into being a proper Rangers player and he would kick on and be magnificent. I think he's been tremendous this year. But that night in Holland, he was, he was brilliant. We became a, a set-piece Danger that night as well. A couple of really good headers. Philip Hollander's header, a particularly good header um, from a, a kind of well worked um, corner kick, if I remember rightly, which we then, I think, Tab swung it in and, and he bulleted in. But it was just a great night, David, overall. And, and I know it's, it might be controversial to say that it was Gerard's best European result, but I would be fascinated to hear from the man himself on that because such an underrated result. Like you say, who goes to Holland and wins 4 0 on a one off tie? Scottish club. Well, exactly. No, it's I un- mean, yeah. Man U or Real Madrid going to, a, you know, one of the known big three in Holland, fair enough. But we, you know, SPFL clubs going to Holland. And this is not just now. This is, you know, the last 40 years. Then 4-0. When the other team, you know, you, you, you see that result, you think, oh, did they have a man sent off early or something? No. Rangers just thumped them right out the blocks. That then led to classic European tie. Rangers Galatasaray. If that doesn't get your blood pumping, then you need to see a doctor. Um, Galatasaray had a couple of star names in the lineup, including Radamel Falcao, of course, uh, former Atletico Madrid, Manchester United, Chelsea star, Colombia striker, idol of Alfie's as well. And this was a night where I felt 
privileged. I, was, I felt privileged every game, and I never took it for granted. I didn't once. In case people think that, that you know, being there, I, I'm somehow blasé about it. I'm really not. If it had ended after ten games, one game, it would have still been a privilege. And that night, though, was the night that I really hit home that there was nobody there because I knew that Ibrox. There would have been an amazing display by the Union Bears. It would have been thumping noise and because at football grounds all over the world when there's no crowd and still they, they still do the full tannoy thing stevie you know and the, and the full music um yeah <laughs> and then it just surreal. yeah it just because it just stops and then it's silent and that would never ever happen but rangers took on galatasaray and played with a maturity and a confidence um that was a delight to see Scored a goal from James Tavernier, Scott Arfield getting the first. Rangers score a goal from, it starts with Alan McGregor and he passes it to Conor Goldson and he passes it to Tav. And then this beautiful, intricate series of passes ends up with Borna swinging over across and there's Tav at the back post to head it in. It's the closest I've ever seen to the Rod Wallace goal against Borussia Dortmund all those years ago. It was total football. If we'd seen it from a so-called huge side, people would have been absolutely raving about it. It it was truly an unbelievable goal. Galatasaray get one back, scrappy goal late, and you're thinking, oh, here we go, because, of course, it has to be decided on the night. But Rangers see it out, and for the third successive season, I'm making 11 qualifying ties out of 11. Rangers have reached the group stage of the Europa League. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, the big thing about that night that often gets overlooked, David, is, is um, I think the the magnificence of our goals, because the the first one from Scott Arfield, the way it's worked, Yanis Hadji comes out and plays in between the lines, plays a wonderful kind of reverse through ball, and and it all started from a right back, and this this was becoming a, a pertinent theme of the season that Tav was really. At that point, Tab was magnificent, driving us on. And, and that through ball, Scott Arfield then just steers it under the keeper. We're on our way. But as you said, the second one actually starts as a goal kick. Um, McGregor plays it short to, to Tav, the ball down the line. Borna then manages, he then comes in, gets it wide left. The big cross, and who's there but Tav, the guy that starts it off at, at fullback. So the, the, the level of quality of that goal was, was superb. We then lose one, as you said, but what then happens is something that we have developed and and we begin to gradually become accustomed to. And, and, and I think this helps us because we, we, we develop a belief and a, and a strength in the defence that we can hold on to these results because that's what we'd started to do. So that night just underlined that. We, we saw that through. And just, I think you could see by... The kind of celebrations. I think that was the, the first time we saw Sweet Caroline in the the dressing room. So that was, I think, Glenn Kamara put that on his Instagram. So that was the first time we we saw the players properly having a good celebration, and and from that moment, you know, the 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 what's what the confidence that that's given the team again to kick on. It's like the first wee hurdle or the first milestone of the season. Is, is done because we needed to qualify. So to do that and in the style and one-off games, David, where it's where it's so difficult, it's difficult over two 
as we've seen with Warsaw the, the year before, but to do it in one-off games where your stakes are so high, to get to that level of performance and, and do it, you know, 11 qualifiers the way that the management have is, is simply incredible. We've spoken a lot about the team's performances in Europe and it had been a high spot the previous couple of years and even the, the sort of February, March of the previous season when domestically, I don't think we could we could lay claim to having any sort of form whatsoever. We're going out there and we beat Braga home and away. Um, you know, we, we're putting in these good performances. We got out the group stage, of course. Uh, now, Ryan Kent famously or infamously, I suppose, said that, oh, there's less pressure in Europe. Um, I, I, it can't just be that. There has to be something. Because, look, I, I'll be honest, I think in my lifetime, this is the most consistent Rangers in Europe side that I've seen. Because there's been individual great seasons and there's been great matches and memorable wins and whatnot. But the way that they play, which is front foot, confident, their ability to, to use the ball is better. I think anybody who's watched a Scottish side, be it their club side or an international side, away from home uh, against European opposition has so often saw us treat the, treat the ball like an unwanted stepchild. Rangers don't do that. They're not panicky under position. They trust each other on the ball. And lastly, tactically, I think that this is where Gerard and Bale really show their stripes in these matches because so often they get the team selection right, they get the tactics right. Why do you think that is? Is it, is it maybe the experience that they had? You know, Michael Beale has coached across the world and, of course, Stephen Gerrard, his experience huge international and, and European experience. Was it that? And, and really it was a case of they already knew how to do that, but learning the peculiarities of the Scottish game actually was, was the thing they needed to do. Yeah, I think that the thing is as well, I think that largely in most of the ties that we've had, David, maybe not all of the qualifiers, but most of the group stage ties and certainly after the last 16 and that, that teams have expected to beat us Rangers yeah. haven't always been the favourites you know us as a support we'd, we'd say that we've got the chances but what that's meant is that they have played the game to win them which has given us space to to go and play it's given us time on the ball that means we're not playing two two banks of, of four or, or five as, as it as it was at points at, at home in Scotland so it gave us that freedom and I think what Ryan Kent said was, was true and what I would like to think would happen now, David, is that now that we've got that championship under our belt, I would like to think that the players would go into the European matches the same way that they would go into the league matches, or they would go into league matches as the same way as, as Europe as they always have. In terms of we've got the freedom now, with the pressures off us, we can go and play, we can go and express ourselves and enjoy ourselves. Because when I see them in Europe. That's how I see them playing. You know, if you look at some of the goals that we've scored, we we spoke about it before, but the goal away in Porto always springs to mind the way that Hollander plays it out. Kent flicks it wide to Barisic. Touch, wonderful cross, Alfie's finish. I mean, that's magnificent, magnificent standards of goals. And it just looks to me like we enjoy ourselves in Europe. As much as I've watched us in the league enjoy ourselves this year at times, like you've said, the, the Dundee United 4-0, for example, that we spoke about. That that kind of performance and that kind of level of enjoyment is, is what I think they get in Europe. 
I would agree with that. And I think that, as you say now, maybe as Rangers fans, because I think that we, a lot of my generation and your generation, we got scarred by Europe in the 90s. And I think quite often we... When we did have money, you know, when when we did have money and we should have been doing better, I think that we got so used to it that we just didn't really have that belief that we could do more, or we were kind of waiting on something bad to happen to us in Europe, and then when it did, we went, ah, knew it. Um, whereas, I think that Gerard has has totally changed that for a generation of Rangers fans, that now I think we go into European ties thinking, okay, they might, like, you know, Leverkusen was one, and, you know, this season, obviously, Slavia edged us out, it was tough two ties, but I think we go into any game now and we think, we have a chance. And I don't always think we did that. You know, I, I think that now we reckon, okay, they're a really good side. They probably should beat us if you look at resources and players and whatnot. But I do think we go into these games thinking, but I tell you what, they won't want, they won't be wanting to play us. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I think that even when Leverkusen came around this season, um, and, and we had to go away to them. I always felt that we would create an opportunity. We would always get opportunities out there. We would play to 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 win. And what I'm trying to say by that is, I don't think there's there's been a European tie under Gerard where we've we thought, oh, this is going to be this is going to be rough, or, or we're going to get a doing or anything like that. I just don't think that happens. I think that we're in a place now where we fancy ourselves against most teams. You know, we're we're hopefully now, David, about to take the step up into the actual elite. Um, and there's people saying that, you know, we could be facing PSG with Mbappe and, and you know, Neymar and all these players. And I cannot wait. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time because previously I would have been scared. I would have been worried. And I'm not sitting here saying we're going to beat them. I'm not that, you know, fanciful. You know, I will text you later and say we could take them 2-0. But on this pod, I'll say, you know, to everyone that, I would be so excited and I'd look forward to it because I wouldn't fear it. And that's not saying I'm disrespectful or, or I'm thinking we're winning. I just wouldn't fear it. I would enjoy it. I would embrace it, bring it on because I would fancy us to at least do ourselves proud. Does that make sense? Put it, no, there's, put it there's this never... way. If we played PSG, I wouldn't expect us to win. I would certainly be going to Ibrox thinking you never know, but I would that's guarantee we wouldn't lose 12-1 on aggregate. <laughs> Yeah, see what you said there. That that's exactly it. We would be going to Ibrox and saying, we, "We've, you know, we're in it. We're at least you know, we need a bit of luck. We need a bit of luck. We need a few yeah. of their players to have an off night." But and that is different, and you know that is something that that he has brought to us. Right then, folks, you'll remember, of course, where we we left off just after that Hibs uh, that that Hibs result. So next week we will be starting on. The run that won the title, really. And we'll be going to Parkhead. We'll be welcoming them to Ibrox and then we'll be seeing them off to Dubai. Um, There will be some cup disappointment in there as well, but there's some mega European results. Uh, And it seems to me a worldy every single week to look forward to, including one where one of our players in a swimming pool dribbled past five men and scored from his own half. So, Stevie, I can't wait for next week. Thank you, as always, for joining me. No, it's been brilliant. And as I said, just just like every other episode, David, we're now we're now working up to the to the the real evolution of his revolution. 
everything is built to this moment and I can't wait to go through it all and discuss it because, you know, that this team, for what they are about to do and what we're about to cover, deserve every bit of praise. There's been some magnificent goals, some individual masterclasses, um, leadership from the management and just throughout everything, we've got so much to discuss and enjoy. I, I cannot wait. I'm exactly the same, folks, and I will join you next week alongside Stevie as we continue to chart Stephen Gerrard's evolution to revolution. Thank you for listening. Bye. Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.